Καλή Παναγία. In this season, both during the fast and also afterwards, there's this hymn that we kept chanting, the Ex Apostolarian, which goes, O you apostles from far off being gathered in Gethsemane, lay my body in burial, and you, my son and my God, now receive my spirit. It really feels like we have joined in this time that we, as the faithful, have been transported to the Garden of Gethsemane, transported to Mount Zion, where she reposed, and then the procession down to Gethsemane, where she was laid to rest. The church is still there in Gethsemane. It's a church deep down in the ground. You go down more than 100 steps to get there. When you get to the place of the tomb, there's the icon, a famous icon called the Jerusalem icon of the Theotokos. This is the icon that when St. Paisios had a vision of the Theotokos, he said, she looks just like that icon. We have drawn closer to her through our experience of worshiping in these days. And in addition to her being our fervent intercessor and our mother, she also is an example to us, an example of humility, how she submits her will to God, of faithfulness and of patient endurance standing at our Lord's cross. This week, coming up, we celebrate another saint that bears these same qualities. The saint exemplifies humility, faithfulness, patient endurance. And he's especially important to us in this day because he lived in a time when people didn't really know the faith very well or they were being drawn away from the faith by other beliefs. And so this saint that I'll be talking about today, he went around and brought people strongly back to the faith, teaching them the right way. His name is Saint Cosmas. How many of you have ever heard of Saint Cosmas Etolos? Probably very few of you. And he will be celebrating him on August 24th. As I mentioned, he's an example, like Panagia, of humility, always turning attention away from himself, of faithfulness and really drawing people into the faith, and enduring a life of martyrdom that ultimately ended in his own martyrdom. St. Cosmas was born in the early 1700s. And he's called St. Cosmas Etolos because he's from Etolia, which is Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. So he was born in the early 1700s. He eventually went to school on Mount Athos. There was a school there at the time. And then he ended up at Philotheo Monastery. But this was also a time of great oppression and persecution in the Christian world. This is when the Turks, the Turkish Empire was kind of at its peak, and Christians were being persecuted more and more and more, and Christians were being killed for the faith, and many Christians, in their weakness, apostatized. They left, they became Muslim, because of all the things that allured them in Islam, as far as having a better status in society, having a better job, being able to make ends meet for your family more and more, 
So there are many people that were turning away from the faith. And those that were of the faith, because the church was slowly being cut down by the, the Muslim leaders, they very rarely had priests sometimes in these small villages. They had a church, but no priest. They had no one to teach them about the faith. So St. Cosmas, he was a monk at, on Mount Athos, and he really felt the call, I need to go out to the people. I need to be with the people and bring the people into the fullness of the faith. St. Cosmas began his ministry by going soon outside of Mount Athos to the villages nearby. I'm going to read a little bit from this brief story of his life. And this is what he did. Beginning with the villages just outside of the Holy Mountain, he preached and traveled to Thessaloniki, Veria, Macedonia, Chimeria, Aetolia. From there, he sailed on the Ionian Sea to the island of Cephalonia. Wherever this thrice blessed one went, a great many Christians would gather to listen to the grace and sweetness of his words with much feeling and reverence. The result was great correction of life and spiritual benefit. And yet his teaching was very simple, like that of the fishermen. He was calm and peaceful, so that it seemed as though it, his teaching was filled with the grace and joyful peace of the Holy Spirit. And this is how he taught. This is what we remember of St. Cosmas. He taught out in the open because there were no churches big enough to hold the many people. Throngs of people would come to hear him. And it became his habit to have the people set up a large wooden cross wherever he was going to teach. So he would come into a village, put up a large wooden cross, and then get out a little stool, stand on the stool, and begin teaching the people. He would stand on the stool and teach, and after his lesson, he would take apart the stand and take it with him wherever he went. As for the cross, it remained in its place as a permanent reminder of his preaching. In those places where the crosses were fixed, God worked many miracles. For instance, in the village of Argostolion on the island of Cephalonia, water gushes forth from the place where the saint left the cross, even to this day. There's a spring there. He went on to the island of Corfu, and Corfu, if you know a little bit of the history, that was under Italian rule for many years. So the Orthodox, in addition to being oppressed by the Muslims, were also oppressed by the Roman Catholics. And on Corfu, the people were turning and becoming Catholic. And so St. Cosmas went there, taught them about the true faith, and brought them back to the faith. St. Cosmas went all over Greece. He was teaching and he was building schools, starting schools with his teaching, and then having teachers. The teachers would then build schools. The people would continue learning even after he left there. And he caused such a following that there were thousands of people following him. You, you know those stories of Christ going around the Sea of Galilee and all the people needing food? It was like this with St. Cosmas, traveling all over the Greek countryside. He would have thousands of people following him. He would go with about 40 or 50 priests, and when he would go to a village, one to another, he first commanded the Christians to confess, to fast, and to have a vigil service. Since two or 3,000 people followed him, St. Cosmas would command them in the evening to prepare many sacks of bread and pots of boiled wheat, Afterwards, they would go out by the wayside where the people were and pass out the bread. 
and share all this food and pray for the forgiveness both of the living and of the dead. And St. Cosmas became the source of many miracles. I won't read them all. They're uh, told in this book and many others. But St. Cosmas was described even by the Muslims as a man of God. He was respected by the Muslims. In fact, everywhere that he went, he got the permission of the bishop, and he also got the permission of the Muslim ruler. So he wasn't going around deceitfully trying to hide things, but rather received their permission, went to his people, taught them the faith, and strengthened them in the faith. And yet this still brought about envy, because ultimately his life ended in martyrdom. He was in Albania, and there the ruler deceived him and said, oh, the ruler above us doesn't want you around here. You need to go talk to him, and basically brought him off into the wood with his henchmen. And, martyred, and he was martyred there. His relics were buried there. His relics became a source of miracles. Even to this day, portions of his relics have been transferred to monasteries around the world. He also was one who told prophecies of the future. And I'd like to read just two or three of these. This is what he said in the 1700s. There will come a time when the land will be bound with string and men will talk from one distant place to another as though they were next door in rooms. For example, from Constantinople to Russia. So he foretold telephone wires and telegrams. He said, you will see men flying in the sky like blackbirds, throwing fire upon the earth, the modern fighter jets, and people will run from them. And then he said, in the plain you will see a horseless carriage going faster than a rabbit. He's talking about cars. This is in the 1700s. So his martyrdom, he was, at the time of his martyrdom, he just sat down and crossed his hands. They tied a rope around his neck, and as soon as they put the rope around his neck, he gave up his soul. And this was in the year 1776. That's an important year to us, right? Imagine what's happening here in America and this holy, holy man in these lands all over Greece and all over the Mediterranean was giving up his soul to God right at that same time. I wanted to tell you a little bit about St. Cosmas because it even relates a little bit to the gospel today. The gospel is unrelated to St. Cosmas, of course, because his feast stays in a few days. But in the gospel, we see that great ingratitude and unforgiveness. It's a hard parable, is it not? This man who's been given so much and then is so stingy to another person. And the, the meaning of the parable is very obvious to us. The harder part is, how do we apply it to ourselves? How do we see ourselves in that gospel? Because we don't want to be that guy, do we? We want to be maybe the person who owed 100 denarii and says, please, please, give me a little bit more time. We don't want to think that Christ is actually speaking to us as the person who has been given such a great inheritance. And as you know, 10,000 talents is the equivalent of hundreds of millions of dollars. It's far more money than a person would ever have. The point of the parable is the great ingratitude that he shows and then the unforgiveness that he shows. 
It relates to St. Cosmas because St. Cosmas talked all about love. And love is the antidote both to ingratitude, right? Because if you love someone, if you see what they have done for you, you have gratitude. It's also the antidote to unforgiveness. If you know how much you are loved, how could you let these things of other people really bother you? If you knew how much each of us are interconnected in our love, you would let these things go. St. Cosmas talks about these two loves, the love of God and the love of our neighbor. So I'll close with these quotes from him. The all-good and greatly merciful God, my brothers and sisters, has many different names. He's called Light and Life and Resurrection. The main name of our God is love, and he is called love. If we want to get along well here and also to go to paradise, where we call God love and Father, we must have two loves, love of our God and love for our brothers. It is natural for us to have these two loves. It is unnatural for us to not have them. Just as a turtle dove needs two wings in order to fly into the air, so also do we need these two loves, because without them, it is impossible for us to be saved. First, we have an obligation to love our God because he granted us so much, such a big earth here with so many things for our temporary life. So many thousands of plants, grasses, fountains, rivers, seas, air, night, day, sky, sun. For whom did he make all these things if not for us? What does he owe us? Nothing. Everything is free. He made us into men. He did not make us into animals. He even made us pious Orthodox Christians, not impious heretics. And even if we sin a thousand times an hour, he has compassion for us like a father and does not kill us in order to put us into the place of torment. But with open arms, he awaits our repentance. He awaits the time when we will repent and stop doing evils and do good deeds and confess and be corrected so that he can embrace us and put us in paradise so that we might rejoice always. Glad is the man who's been found worthy and has received in his heart these two loves for God and for his brothers. Because whoever has love in his heart has every good thing, and he cannot endure to do evil. And whoever doesn't have love does not have God in his heart, but has the devil. He does all evil things and every sin. Even if we were to do a thousands and thousands of good deeds, my brothers, fasting, prayer, charity, even spilling our blood for our Christ, yet we do not have these two loves, but have hate and bad feelings for our brothers, all these other good deeds that we did are of the devil, because we will go to the place of torment. But wait, you say, with what little bit of bad feeling we have for our brothers will go to the place of torment after having done so many good things? Yes, my brothers, because that bad feeling is the devil's poison. Just as we put a little yeast into four bushels of wheat, and it has so much strength and can rise the dough no matter how much it is, so also is a bad feeling. It turns all the good deeds we do into the poison of the devil. How are you getting along here, my Christians? Do you have love among yourselves? If by chance you want to be saved, seek for nothing else in this world except for love. 
The gospel today tells us the story of one who does not have love. One who does not see the immensity of what God has done. We just need to look and see. See what God has done for us in our lives. This will be that kernel of love towards him. And then that kernel of love towards him will grow into love towards our brothers and sisters. With these two loves, like a turtle dove, we can fly up to heaven in eternal life. Amen.